Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Checkfront, the booking platform trusted by over 5,000 tour and activity operators around the world. You can start your own free 21-day trial over at Checkfront.com. You are listening to the Travel Industry Maverick Show, part of the Tourpreneur Network. Unfiltered, unabashed, definitely not sugarcoated, roundtable discussions with your hosts, travel industry veterans Peter Syme and Christian Watts. Monthly conversations with the people who matter from all sectors of the travel industry. And now, here are your hosts, Peter Syme and Christian Watts. Hello, folks, and welcome to episode 142. And tonight on the Maverick Show, we have Chris Newlands of Spelfy.com. That is Spelfy.com, not Selfie.com. Welcome to the Maverick Show, Chris. Hello, Peter. Uh, thank you for having us. I appreciate that. To kick off, Chris, you're a bit different because you're not one of your normal guests from a normal travel industry background or a normal travel company. Don't feel out of place. There's lots of people here who are a wee bit different. Whenever you've got Christian there, who's definitely a wee bit different. <laughs> So just give us a bit of background about yourself. How did you end up starting Spellfair? What is Spellfair? My background, Peter, I joined the Armed Forces Royal Navy when I was 16 years of age, became a financial advisor, a chartered financial planner for 30-odd years, then became an entrepreneur. So I started a, a travel platform in the similar vein to Facebook called Talk Holiday, and the idea was uh, to allow people to effectively gain uh, friendships before they travelled, so that when they actually arrived, they were speaking to like-minded people, they could speak to lo local people and get insights to what's the best things to be doing, and just try to get that social element to, to travel, uh, almost like a vertical of Facebook in some ways. But actually, it became fairly quickly apparent, actually trying to beat Facebook at its own game is a difficult thing to do. Uh, so I had a wee conversation with somebody who was suggesting that actually, if you were to somehow accommodate space technology into your business model, then there, there was all sorts of benefits potentially attached to that. Wait a minute. How do you have a conversation that comes up with put space technology into your holiday business. It's the benefits of a, a very diverse network, uh, Peter, to be fair. So I spoke to two space scientists and they were actually preparing, I think, to apply for a grant with the European Space Agency. And they said that if you can come up with a business model that somehow integrated space technology into it, there were grants available because we're looking for different business models for commercialization of space technology. So we sat down at a coffee and, and, and I said, okay, so what ideas have you got, gents? And bear in mind, these guys are the space scientists. And they said, none. 
okay, so what are you hoping for from me? So they said, well, you've got a commercial mind and all this. So I said, that's fine. So bought them both a coffee, sat down, and I just asked them about the, the questions about what's up there, what, uh, what, what's the capacity, the capabilities, things you can find in Google, but it was just that it shortcutted the, uh, the conversation. And long story short, after two hours and loads and loads of coffee, I had loads and loads of facts. My head was bursting. On the way home, I was thinking about different things that you could use space technology for. And over several days, started to evolve the idea of being able to use space technology for the travel platform I mentioned before. Maybe being able to uh, identify a hotel that you're going to be uh, staying in before you book it to see if there's construction happening and the, the locality to beaches, etc. And also was looking at air quality and pollution. Um, so I came up with this idea of being able to actually give you a, a forecast before you travel to the air quality and what you're flying into. And this was all pre-COVID. COVID has obviously brought that more to the fore as well. And I thought some great ideas, but the problem with any great ideas is you have to actually market it to millions and millions of people and change their behaviours. And it costs you millions and millions of pounds to do so. So I started to think how you can engage with younger people. And I thought, well, what do younger people do uh, that you could add some value to? I thought long and hard about more kids. And they all take selfies and create these ridiculous pouts and all the rest of it as well. Uh, so that selfies is great. I then thought they go to music festivals. They like experiences. Then I thought it was space. Then I thought it was space selfies. And I was actually genuinely in the shower. And I thought, space selfies, is that a thing? So I went and did some research and it wasn't. So we have the unique capability of being able to identify people at events, live events from space using defense quality satellites, uh, capturing images of that event. Imagine Glastonbury Music Festival, for example, and identify each individual person at that event, pin above their head, send them a souvenir picture, which is a mashup of the satellite image taken that day and their selfie alongside that, that is then branded by the sponsor. They share it on social media. Everybody wins, they get something free, which is experiential, and the brand gets exposure. So they're getting a selfie from space without having a really, really long yes, arm. pretty much. It's a 600-kilometre-long selfie stick. It's that far away, if that makes sense as well, yeah? What are the timelines on all of this? Go back to your holiday one, and then when was the conversation with, with NASA? So it was actually Airbus, so actually there was a conversation, we'll come back to that in a second, but the, the idea for Talk Holiday came about 2012, and basically we started to develop prototypes of uh, social media platforms and different groups and various other things over time. It was a great idea in many, many ways, but the problem is getting enough critical mass in each of the destinations for it to mean something to everybody, if that makes sense as well. And starting from a, a kind of zero content to obviously uh, a lot of content is quite difficult to do as well. Uh, so that was 2012, 2013. Launched Top Quality 2014, roughly. The conversation around space happened in 2017 and we've been developing the app ever since and we launched on November 2019 and uh, we actually captured the words act now uh, on a volcanic beach in Bali and the reason for that is uh, two young girls had actually convinced the governor of Bali to ban single-use plastics uh, so we in conjunction with the BBC uh, they created a documentary and they we created the words act now in a beach using 300 meters of white cotton which was recycled into making local bags and all the local villagers were standing on the letters and we captured that from space yeah so that actually was a kind of spectacular 
spectacular way to end the programme and telling the world that they need to act now if they're going to save the planet. Two months later, COVID kicked in. So it's been a really tough time and we've had to obviously uh, survive that, but we're now hoping to uh, obviously capitalise as the event sector and travel sector opens up. The obvious question, I get it from taking pictures from space, people trending, can be quite viral, big events. But as a good Scotsman, we're always interested in... Here's the money. <laughs> here's the money. Well, the, the, the money is interesting. Uh, so for the user, it's free of charge. It always is. It always is. <laughs> it's free for the user. It has to be. People, consumers, do not like paying for things. If they get it for free, why pay for it, yeah? But they don't understand that the actual marketplace, the fiscal costs of tasking a $100, $200 million satellite to take one picture and capture that experience. So there's, there's obviously a cost associated with that. So what we do is we align ourselves with the brand sponsors or the event owners, if you like, and that creates an opportunity for them to actually engage. Now, what we actually do, if you think about marketing in general, and if you understand the scale of the problem, the scale of the problem is terrifying. There are 25,000 posts on social media a second. Just think about that for a second. 25,000 social posts a second. How do you rise above that noise, yeah? Now, in our uh, world, what you do is you turn the audience into your advocates, because if 25,000 people share an image with your brand on it, all of a sudden that becomes 25,000 nano-influencers who each might have an average audience of, say, a 1,000 people. And because of that, and because I went to school with Peter or I went to uh, play rugby with Christian, I'm going to like it. I'm going to comment on it because, actually, I like you. I can associate with you. And because of that, there's a subliminal association with the brand as well. It creates an identic alignment. So when they share it, you get five to 11 times more comments and likes than you would get from a mega influencer and something similar on social media uh, because it's not coming from the brand or the sponsor, it's coming from somebody you know. Uh, and out with that, it's 10 to 25 times cheaper on average than what you'd spend paid social too. So it's cheaper, increased ROI, and actually it's experiential because the user's sharing it because it's capturing their experiences too. So everybody wins. So on a practical note, how are you connecting the, the photo with the user with the object of the photo? The selfie. So what we do is before you say you go to an event, you click on the event to see you're going, there's a countdown to when the satellite will be directly overhead. I'll come back to other use cases in a second, but fundamentally, in its simplest form, the satellite, we can tell you 10 years from now when it will be directly over your location and the exact time within, to within a second, okay? So it's quite interesting from a science perspective, I feel like, as well. But fundamentally, the user gets told to take a selfie at a given time. They get warnings and a countdown to a certain time. They take a selfie. That selfie, the metadata in the back end of the actual the image identifies you and where you are on the planet in terms of the lat long, yeah? So what we then do is we then correlate that with the satellite that day, and we really cross-reference them together, and we can identify you actually in the picture. So if you imagine 
something again, I'll use class one as a good example, a massive music festival, 180,000 attendees. We could theoretically put a pin above every person's head uh, separately so they all get the same picture with a different pin. And if they're in front of the, the main stage or the pyramid stage, whatever the case may be, they actually get that souvenir and their selfie alongside that too. 180,000 pictures downloading from space onto phones, iPhones, Samsungs, yeah. all at the same time? Yeah, we can. We tend to do it in batches. We can do, theoretically now, uh, up to 1.2 million images an hour, okay? One of the really interesting things about this is we're looking to engage with audiences not only at events, but audiences who are watching events or streaming events. And that's probably a slight pivot uh, because of the COVID situation. I've got some great examples of that too, if you're interested. So one of the outputs of COVID is probably going to be for a lot of us in the travel industry that partnerships are going to have to be even more important than they were before. And obviously in travel, we're all connected and partnerships were important before. But coming out of this to rebuild, partnerships are even more important. Just looking at your model, you're partnering with Airbus from the technology side. You're partnering with brands who are paying the bill and you're partnering with events who are the actual location where the event's happening. So there's there's three major partners in that and you're inserting yourself in the middle. How challenging has that been to bring major global brands, major events, and obviously you've got your major partner, Airbus, who's providing all the tech. Well, it's very challenging. I mean, fundamentally, it's the government else. We need to get out to as many people as we can. Uh, and that tends to be through brand agencies or it, it tends to be through event organisers or, or umbrella organisations. So, again, with there being a lack of events, it's been quite difficult, let's be honest. I think the traditional model has been a brand sponsors an event. It gets 50,000, 100,000 eyeballs on, on that particular brand, if you like. They add to the experience. They might have a, an installation that's shaking the hand of their favourite rugby player, but it's just a green screen, if you like, yeah. So they might only get, I don't know, 500 people or 1,000 people or 100 people through that tent in a, in a given day. So what we're looking to try and do is work with the, the people who are going to get the most out of this relationship. So the users get something for free, which captures the moment and the experience. They can look back 20 years from now and show their grandkids that I was cool once. I went to glass somebody and there's a wee bit above it. Imagine Live Aid and the ability to look back in Live Aid and say I was there. Outside that, you then think about, so why do brands sponsor events? The brand, the sponsor events for brand awareness, for some form and it's very difficult to get a decent return on your investment from brand-sponsored events because effectively it's mostly just about showing your brand. But if you can somehow engage with that audience, if you can somehow engage with that audience before the event or during the event or after the event, which you can do through ourselves, through push notifications, if you can drive traffic to your site, again, you have the benefit of doing that through our, our uh, model as well. And you can do it for retargeting purposes, potentially, too. So it's not just brand awareness. It's that, that ability to capture data and engage thereafter. So we are currently working with brands and events on why this is different. And obviously, space is glamorous. So it does create that, that USP in some ways as well. But it's also very, very efficient. Because if you think of the funnel of, of social media and marketing, what brands do is they throw a lot of money at the top end of the funnel and they fill in everybody's feeds, let's say 10 million people potentially. But what happens is they kind of saturate 
the actual feeds of 10 million people. And they might only be targeting 50,000 people. Whereas what we do is we go straight to the audience who are at the event or who are watching the event, who want something to prove that they were there, and then they share that. So it's a much more efficient way uh, of actually working as well. So there's a carbon footprint equation in there too. So what we try and do is offer the benefits of better reach, better engagement, authentic alignment, organic, experiential, and it could save the planet too. So let me play devil's advocate. So you, you Scots, don't get carried away here. First of all, why can't I do this with a drone? Is the space bit just a gimmick? And the, the second part of that is it sounds expensive to be dealing with a satellite rather than a drone. Flying a drone over an audience of any sort is virtually verboten wherever you go in the world. Uh, you're not to do so because if it falls out of the sky, it will kill somebody. So that's the first thing. There are a myriad of reasons why you can't use drone chair. And also, uh, I think technology has its place but it can leave people a bit cold, Christian, to be honest, in the sense that you might do it once, but you're not going to do it 10 times. But fundamentally, and also bearing in mind, our technology is constantly orbiting the planet. So we theoretically could do 100 events a day anywhere in the world, yeah, and capturing various audiences. So there's all sorts of creative things we can do with space that you just can't do with drones on a regular, repeatable basis as such, aside from hopefully not killing anybody necessarily from a drone. But the space element is something that, it's an intangible benefit. It's glamorous. It's sexy. There's no doubt about it. This last two or three years, the, the rise in interest in space has gone through the roof, quite frankly. Yeah, And it's getting better. The technology is getting better and better all the time. Uh, and what we have uh, just only literally granted last month is we have a, a patent that effectively protects the relationship between human beings and Earth observation satellites. And that relationship between the two parties, we now control globally. So that's quite an interesting one. There's many things we can chat about that, but that's that's a very interesting place. So the patent was designed to protect the spherophy model, but the spherophy model also protects the patent to some degree too. Going back to expense and cost, it does sound expensive. It's not expensive. We've got like for like comparison with a mega influencer over a nano influencer program from Spelfi. It's 10 to 25 times cheaper on average. Okay. Now, depending on what your budget is and expensive to a Scotsman maybe so there's a perception thing maybe exactly the same number but some of us are a bit tighter when it comes to our budgets potentially too but if you understand if you are a whatever brand you are if you sponsor an event whatever you spend on the event and sponsorship you'll tend to spend two to four times that sum on the activation of that event yeah so if you spend £50,000 in sponsorship, you'll typically spend £100,000 to £200,000 telling the world that you're sponsoring that event. Otherwise, there's no little point in sponsoring it because unless they know you're doing it, then you're not getting the same exposure. So again, many of these events that we're targeting and some of the conversations, I've got to be careful what I say and what I don't say just now uh, because some of these uh, conversations are very sensitive, but to spend a million pounds in sponsorship or £10 million in sponsorship in some of these events isn't unheard of, yeah? So it's about getting the right uh, opportunity for the right uh, event. But if I tell you that we are, I think we're very reasonable, the starting point for this is £20,000. And that depends on a number of things. It depends on the size of the audience. It depends if you want to geofence it to the stadium or to the, the city or to the country or to the continent, or you can do a global event where you're actually engaging with the entire planet. You said something earlier, Chris, I just want to wind back to you because I'm th thinking of the audience here and 
a lot of the audience are tour operators and experience operators who are in destination operators. So they sometimes acquire customers prior to their arriving in the destination, but for a lot of them, they acquire the customer when their customers are already in the destination. So it's a lot, a lot of your audience will be operators who take last minute bookings of experiences and food tours and all sorts of different stuff that happens in any city and any destination in the world. You said something earlier on that satellite, one of the benefits of this is it knows exactly where you are, obviously, in the world at what event. Now, that strikes me as incredibly potentially powerful. If I know where somebody is in a city at any given time, and I know who that person is, you don't need to be a rocket scientist. But you can then sell them a lot more stuff if you know where they are. How are you working that out to link that in with in-destination supply? Typically, this is called permission marketing. So by you downloading the app and taking the selfie, you're giving us permission to take an image and identify you in the crowd. Yeah. So, But that's a moment in time, Peter. So it's a bit more difficult in some ways because... Obviously, they're not giving permission for you to market them for any particular opportunity going forward. But what, what it does do, so let's imagine I mean, most events happen in a destination. Most events, all the hotels are filled because of that particular event. So there's a, there's a crossover between events, in my view, and travel in many ways, because very many people will travel to events from all over the planet as well. Yeah? So, so I think fundamentally... If you know that there's an event happening and you're registered for that event and you want to talk to that audience and you're a sponsor of that event, you can engage with that audience before they arrive. Yeah. So let's say if I'm talking to you, you're a, a hotel chain and you're a sponsor of that particular event, you could engage with that audience before they arrived. You could engage with that audience after they've gone, potentially. And we do a data share opportunity where the, the user gives permission for uh, their data to be shared with the, the key sponsor, potentially, too. So there's a data play there as well. But in terms of creating a pool of uh, people that actually would be able to be multi targeted for various purposes, that's not really a, a, an opportunity, Peter, to be honest, yeah? It's more about the preamble before the event and whilst you're actually at the event itself, yeah? Um, but from a destination perspective, that could be uh, that you create a message or you do something in the city and you invite people to participate in that. Event. But events cover everything. It covers sporting events, music festivals, cultural festivals. I think there's over 3,500 cultural events and festivals in Europe every year, for example, when things get back to normal. So I, I operate the Hop On, Hop Off in San Francisco, right? So is there an application? You're very event-specific. Obviously, you need to time the satellite and plan these things ahead of time. Is there an application for a destination that's not around an event, that's just around people in San Francisco this weekend, whether they be on an open-top bus or maybe they're taking a bike tour, or is, is there a marketing opportunity around that where a lot of companies could work out a relationship with these customers and then whatever product they're doing, they, you know. We mocked up something um, a few months back there looking at New York and Vegas and obviously Los Angeles would come into that too. So there are, there are destination cities that people would want to say, I'm here, yeah? This is one of their bucket lists for one of a better term, yeah? Now, for me, the ability for people to say that day, that's me in the city, and actually identify yourself from space is, is potentially really, really useful from the point of view of obviously social sharing, that check-in from basically. Also to engage 
with the brand sponsors or the sponsors of that particular event. So, so there's a situation there where you could have a, a welcome to uh, Los Angeles, welcome to Las Vegas, welcome to New York, and have that as a permanent structure that we take a picture of each day as the satellite passes over, but then identifying every day in that particular picture. To give you an idea of the scale, uh, the pictures are 28 kilometres squared, yeah? So you can get most large cities or the centre of most large cities in that image. And then we can put a pin above each, each individual attendee at that city to say they're there. Let me drill down on this, right? So next weekend, we've got 5,000, I wish we had, we've got 5,000 customers coming to San Francisco. Yeah. And they've all opted in. They all say, yep, I want this spell fee. I like this thing that's interesting. I'm, I'm big on Instagram. They all give permission. We agree that at two o'clock next Saturday afternoon, you're going to take a photo from space. You're going to click a button. I'm imagining you sitting there with a joystick controlling <laughs> this satellite, but we Something can get into that later. Um, you're going to click a button. It's going to take a photo of all of San Francisco, which is only seven by seven miles. One photo, you've now taken a photo of 5,000 people. You've pinpointed them on that map and you've sent potentially 5,000 emails or texts or whatever it is to those people that they can then take and share. Yeah. That's how it works. Yep, and the typical engagement levels to give an idea of how many likes you would expect from that that audience of five thousand. Just doing some sums there. Four hundred and one thousand likes is what they would expect from that audience because they would typically have a, a social media following of at least on average a thousand people, which is a total audience of five million people are going to see those particular images. Again, I'm going to get into the weird details here, but this is scheduled for two o'clock. Yeah. So at two o'clock, are they are they waving at the camera? Because <laughs> right. I imagine if they're not, they're all sort of messing around and looking at the ground and in a restaurant. And there's no such thing as space to face. It's space to place. Yeah. Now you're an ant from space, but it is you. You are the ant. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and you could create a shape in the shape of a love heart if it was a wedding, for example, or that type of thing as well. What we do have, Christians, we've actually thought this through in the sense that not everybody will want to do the selfie at the given time necessarily. So fundamentally, we'll still take the picture, but we open it up for 24 hours. So people are doing various events and throughout the city. And if you imagine like a treasure hunt type situation, you could do five, six, 10 different things in the city in the hop in, hop on, hop off bus type idea and take a selfie at these particular scenarios. They get the same satellite picture, but we would then get send them each a picture with their pin wherever they are on that particular map, if you like, as well, with the structure behind them or the, the selfie. And each of those could have a, a brand associated with it as well. If you're clever about it, uh, each of these points actually have some, some form of advertising behind them potentially too. It's just a great way to share the great images of your city and your destination, but it's coming from the audience, not from the brand or the, the DMO, if that makes sense as well. It's coming from the best people who are the advocates and the travellers and the tourists. Got a quick message from one of our sponsors, and then we'll get right back to today's show. Stay tuned. Do you spend many nights sitting at your desk trying to figure something out in your booking system to make it work better for your business? With Checkfront, you'll always have access to a friendly support team who's quick to reply with a step-by-step -step solution no matter what you need help with find out other ways checkfront can make things easier for you at checkfront.com forward slash tourpreneur
just going back to what I was talking about earlier about driving things in destination. If, if I'm a brand, let's call me a beer brand because we like beer and Christian likes beer, even though I'm on a no beer at the moment. So I'm a beer brand, Heineken, Guinness, whatever. They give you this big pile of money to pass this satellite. Normally when there's an event on, if you've been to any of these big events, there's these massive marquees and massive tents with their brand all in it. They're going to want to drive as many people to these, these destinations after whatever the event is, if you're watching... 100 metres at the Olympics or you're watching the World Cup final or uh, racing cars or whatever it is. After that is normally when a lot of the spending goes on. You notice we're back to money again. A lot of the spending happens from the consumer after the event that they've actually went to see. So how does that beer brand, Pete's Beer Company, drive these thousands of people into Pete's Beer Tent so you can sell them loads of beer? So here's the beauty of this. Because the, the app is event agnostic, we can actually, we allow uh, people to go from event to event and venue to venue and carry the same app. So they're collecting those experiences, yeah? So we offer push notification functionality for the sponsors. So let's say at the end of that, that process, and let's say the 10th thing they've taken a selfie or the first thing they've taken a selfie, they could be sent a push notification to say, buy one beer, get one beer free, and by giving us your email address, yeah? So Pete now has their data. He's now sold a beer. He's given one away, but the chances are they'll not just buy one beer. They'll, t- they'll tend to buy several beers thereafter. So you can actually engage with them to drive them towards your physical site or your actual website and actually build a relationship thereafter too. So again, it's about incentivizing. Let's just play with that. So Christians went to the World Cup to see some proper football getting played. And as we know, the World Cup has various rounds, so there's multiple games going on. The fans go from game to game. So you could physically, potentially, if I'm listening to that right, drive people on a journey. So you're actually creating a self-guided tour. Their audience will latch on to that statement because we've all been talking about self-guided tours recently. You're creating a self-guided tour from event to event that are getting the spell fees at each of these events and driving them, as well as brand awareness, into brand purchasing. Am I saying that right or am I... Yeah, you're right. I think we're very conscious of the fact we don't want to harass the user, though. It needs to be of real value to the consumer, obviously, as well, yeah? So so we are very, I mean, I tell you now, we're talking to uh, various pavilions at the Expo 2020 in Dubai, okay? There's going to be Nations Days that will be takeovers of that particular venue in Dubai. Uh, so there's going to be various events happening throughout the days. So the ability to actually capture that event and the majesty of that event from space and then engage with uh, various events happening throughout that day, which could actually be brands or pubs, clubs, restaurants, whatever the case may be, it would be valued by the user because they're getting something for that. Free beer is always valued. Always. Can't beat it. Whiskey is better, of course. Yes. <laughs> yes. So how was the traction? I know you, you said you launched just before COVID. How are you getting along and, and how's the business going? It's been tough, Christian. Uh, it has been tough. We've used the time because it went, uh, obviously, we had 55,000 app downloads in the very first event. So that was that place in the top 10%, I believe, of all app downloads in history in terms of volume. Uh, and we had a, several other events lined up for 2020, uh, which obviously collapsed like a pack of cards, which was not fantastic in any way, size, shape or form. So we've used that time to look at remote audiences as well. 
and a good example of that. I mean, we're not saying we're working with the Olympics, but let's imagine that we did. Uh, and obviously the Japanese nationals will be the only people who will be in the stadiums now for the actual Olympics. So we have the technology that would allow every country in the world and for you sitting in your home to be able to engage with the actual Olympics. We take satellite images and obviously they can support the athletes from afar as well. So they get a souvenir to show they're supporting. Um, so we've done all of that. We've got one, two major events signed up but I'm not public knowledge yet. Uh, once it become public knowledge, obviously you'll be, you'll be the first to hear. And again, just because events are slowly picking up now, we're thinking the first events will be July in the UK at least, uh, and then August onwards it should be full on as such thereafter. We're talking to many real organisations, to consumer-based organisations as well, and brands about how we can engage with our audience in a different fashion, but safely as well. I think the problem we've all got is international travel. I'll give you a quick example. We booked a cruise to leave in July from Civitavecchia in Rome uh, to go via Santorini and Athens. And it's a brand new cruise ship. I think it's Odyssey of the Seas. And they cancelled the cruise literally two weeks ago. And they're now only going to sail from Israel and only offer uh, Israeli nationals the ability to, to sail on that ship for the whole season as such. So I think the problem really is it's going to take the whole world time to catch up from an inoculation perspective. So I can see it being either hybrid, closed door or social distance events and major events for the possibly the next foreseeable six months a year at least anyway. So the ability to do something that you can capture the people at the event and allow people to participate remotely, we think it's going to be of real value. So, so that's what we're working on just now, Christian. It's not easy. We're just trying to navigate through the, the various hurdles uh, as such, but we have got some very serious traction and the patents helping matters as well. Right. So most tour companies have been renegotiating leases and insurance payments and employee packages, and you've been negotiating with Airbus to not pay their satellite as much money. How's, how's that been? <laughs> well, actually, Airbus have extended their contract uh, confidentially, so that tells you there's been a, they're a fantastic brand. They understand the, the difficulties, and they are uh, they're excited by what we bring to the party. It's just a different use case. If you think what satellites are used for just now, it tends to be defence, agricultural, oil and gas, maritime kind of B2B in most cases, we bring a kind of a consumer fun element to satellite imagery. Uh, we captured the inauguration on January the 20th from space, and we had an exclusive with a, a national TV organisation, which I can't mention their name, but which was cancelled because of the, the issues with uh, Capitol Hill uh, and obviously the fear of the, the tension that was happening at the time with the, the political tension. Uh, so we couldn't, uh, there was nobody going to be at the event and it couldn't be promoted within America either. But we allowed people from outside of America to participate in inverted commas in the event and some of the imagery is magical. So there's not a single frown, they're all smiling faces. It's very experiential. So we're very buoyed by that because that was a very first socially distanced or excluded event. So we're very hopeful going forward that will create a, another experience for people that can, who can't even be there, but they can certainly experience it in other ways. How good is the quality? The quality is incredible, actually. So you can see cars, you can see colours of cars, actually, as well, from space. Um, people you can make out as ants, and these are defence-quality satellite images. But to give an idea how technology is moving forward, so the images we have, I don't know if you've seen the words Black Lives Matter across from the White House in, in Washington. It's been painted onto the roads in Black Lives Matter Plaza. Well, those images, those letters are 
14 meters wide to give an idea of the scale. And we can clearly see that from space, yeah? So the branding opportunities are huge. Uh, the ability to have messaging. We've got a, a great example of a hashtag NHS that was written uh, using Combine Harvester that carved it into his field to the farmer. So there's all sorts of things you can do and become uh, quite creative with this. But the, the actual quality is astounding. But to give you an idea, on April of this year, uh, next month, uh, Airbus are launching two more satellites called Pleiades, Pleiades Neo, and these are 30 centimetres per pixel, and the current ones are 50, so there's a 40% increase in quality from those satellites going forward as well. So again, it's just going to get closer and clearer, but the thing to remember is privacy. We don't want people to ever be in a position where they feel their privacy has been impinged. Have they got spare capacity on these things because they're used for defence mainly and just because there's no action right now that they're, they're happy to get people like you jump in and use their capacity? Yeah, again, my learning curve has been huge, Christian, to be fair. But if you can imagine the Japanese idols, yeah, they're, they're kind of long and thin and they, they go east to west, if you like, yeah. So there's quite a narrow strip of land. As that as their satellite passes over, I can't remember the exact speed, but something like 5,000 miles an hour or something, something crazy anyway, it can take up to 20 distinct images across the Japanese Isles as it passes over this very thin strip of land as it passes north to south. So it really is quite impressive. And they have gyros and other types of these satellites that actually keep the actual imagery in perfect position so you get the perfect image from a vibration perspective as well. So if you can imagine taking five separate stadiums Let's imagine the Olympics, for example. You could take those stadiums and all the audiences as the satellite passes over every single day. So if they were taking a picture of, let's say, a, a sensitive area at one part of the world, the chances are, by the time it gets to the part where you're interested in the cameras uh, or the satellite's availability is there. So uh, we don't foresee very many issues there. Uh, in fact, one satellite organisation, not Airbus, stated that we could be their second most important client, potentially going forward as well because of the volumes that we can drive going forward, potentially, too. I'm keen on tracking what COVID means to the end user, the consumer. What trends, how have they changed as human beings? How has their use of technology changed as human beings? Because that will drive the startups of the future. It won't be the other way around. It will be how people are starting to use technology differently, how they're living their life differently, how they're travelling differently. Are they going to these big events or are they staying away from them? Do we go to a model with smaller events? Do people travel less often but go for longer periods of time? All of these are questions yet that we haven't got the answers because we're not there yet. Until we start travelling again, I mean, we can come up with what we think is going to happen, but at the moment it's always, it is what we think, not what we know, because there is no data. Also, the data that we all had and played with from before is more or less useless now because it was all based on what the models were before and how people were doing things before, whereas now we just don't know. So what, what do you see changing? How's that? Is that opportunity for you? Is it threat for you? Is it bit of both? I think it's a bit of opportunity and threat. Let's be clear. That's the first thing, okay? COVID's with us for the rest of our lives, probably. It's going to come in different variations. Annual jabs, I think, are going to be a, a thing to be considered. So I can see what the, the Japanese are doing about having nationals only at big events internally because international travel is going to carry various variants into every country. The problem with the inoculation programme is that it's almost like a, I want to say tsunami, but a Mexican wave in the sense that you start in the centre and it works its way out. By the time you get to the edge, 
there's a new variant in the centre and it, it just keeps pulsing, if that makes sense. So I think we're going to have to change possibly behaviours, Peter, in that sense as well. I think technology has a big part to play in that. I think some kind of identifier going forward is going to be able to identify you. I wouldn't say you get chipped necessarily, but something that identifies you necessarily be a, a chip in your passport or something along those lines. It keeps you up to date on things. But again, obviously, we're now living with the Brazil variant, which I'm just concerned about just now. There will be another variant, I'm sure, going forward as well. I don't want to sound gloom and doom because that's not how I view it. I just think we just have to maybe be a bit closer to shore more locally potentially and I think people's patience the, the, the need for a change of scenery and to, to capture other experiences and cultures will still drive people because there are many horrible diseases in Africa that have been inoculated against over the years uh, that you have to get specific jabs for potentially so I think it'll become more specialised if you go wherever you're going to you might have to get inoculations for that particular territory I'm thinking black fly and there's all sorts of different injections you get when you travel to various um, zones I see the future if I know what the future is looking like now so we're looking at always on CCTV from space Google Earth but live effectively uh, that's the next three to five years there's going to be an always on vision of the planet from space uh, which will create huge opportunities for commerce. It will create huge uh, benefits from a safety perspective and security perspective and possibly even a migration perspective. There's a myriad of things that you can apply that to. So I see satellites and space engaging with uh, humans changing significantly and in much more real time. And I think that will create other opportunities in business models and, and relationships from uh, a myriad of things, including COVID right away through to leisure facilities and check-ins from space, all that type of thing as well. And that's why we had to get the patent, because if we didn't get that, then that would have left our business model obviously vulnerable. What are the risks on that? So we talk about privacy. I think Britain's still the most photographed nation in the world isn't it the most cctv and so say, yeah, yeah. that wouldn't work in the states that to that level what are the threats there i mean i'm assuming you can't this doesn't work in china for you is my guess no we can we can take pictures in china can? No. yeah okay so there are certain areas and territories that can't really get to do what we can't touch because but obviously there, there are security purposes behind that but fundamentally if you think about Privacy is a big thing, right? People trade privacy for convenience or for safety very often, yeah? And the terrible thing that's happened this week in, in, in London with that young lady that obviously unfortunately lost her life, I think if there was an ability for, you might not be able to save lives, but at least if you can improve the conviction rates by being able to identify people after the event, it's, it's not minority report, but you can imagine how satellite imagery always on can actually create that vision and that safe environment for people hopefully going forward as well. And it's horrific and they have to even think along these lines. But fundamentally, if that facility was there, people might trade their privacy for safety or security potentially going forward. But that's just one use case. Imagine the ability to make a decision which beach you're going to go to subject to how busy it is. And you can look up the app to see now how many people are on that beach. Then you can see how many sunbeds are available. There's a myriad of different things you can think about. So TripAdvisor does that, but you don't need the satellite piece for that, right? This, I guess we're having a different discussion now on general technology because TripAdvisor does that just with phone location data, right? So that you don't need the photography aspect of that. You can just use location data for that. There are many GPS elements to what happens in life just now. Much of it is, is kind of subtle, Christian, to be honest, and people are not aware of what, what it is. But if you add in pictures 
it creates a whole level of interest. People will spend hours looking at Google Earth and look at different places and seeing different things. And these pictures were taken seven years ago, yeah, or five years ago. So there's no real relevance to today other than the fact that they're, they're curious, yeah. But the ability to make a better decision, do you drive to all three beaches or do you just go to the one that's the best for you? Because the other two are covered in crowds or clouds, potentially, yeah. And then you've got skiing apps, you've got hotel now imagine the ability to look up that hotel and see if there's actually construction happening today Experia don't give you that yeah imagine buying your next house and be able to see the actual house in real time today now and actually look it up just now so that that real time opportunity is something that's coming and it's not far away did uh, hear on some news story the other day that the costs of satellites are plummeting like they're becoming at a cost that is within the reach of most businesses to, to put their own... Uh, when I say most businesses, big businesses, obviously. But the cost of actually launching and maintaining satellites is becoming ridiculously cheap compared with what it was. Is that going to end up with tens of thousands, if no millions of satellites all flying around the world? So the first thing to say is that there's currently 3,400 satellites active at this moment in time around the planet, OK? There's... A total of 6,000, some of them are dead, if that makes sense, they're no longer working. 3,400 are live at this moment in time. SpaceX and Blue Origin, which is uh, Amazon, uh, they're talking about each sending up somewhere between 20 and 40,000 satellites each to go up into space and create an orbit and create, a, if you like, a framework which will give you Wi-Fi and broadband from space. Now, that's live just now in the States. And it's coming, I think it's now live in the UK. You can pay $100 a month and get Wi-Fi on your phone from space today, yeah? Is that Starlink? Starlink, yeah, Starlink through SpaceX, yeah. Uh, now, if you listen to Planet and if you listen to Satellogic, which is an Argentinian-based firm, they are sending up satellites. Their stated aim is to create um, a, a full-time image of the planet from space, yeah. So each of these business models will have different spaces that they're trying to, uh, obviously, uh, fulfil, if you like. But actually, I think the game changer is going to be with the fact when people can actually see in real time what's happening around the planet. It's just that opportunity to add that extra layer. So anybody who's using Google, Google Maps or Apple Maps or any map functionality will be replaced by the real-time image, if you think about that. That's the kind of thing that I think it's three to five years away at, at the most. For a lot of your audience, that's gold because a lot of you spend a lot of money and time trips around the world doing reconnaissance and planning routes and planning journeys and stuff. And obviously we all use Google Earth at the moment, but like you say, it's all out, it is out of date. I use it extensively and it, it is out of date. I often go somewhere and I've got my Google Earth with me and it's nothing like when I get there. It's a fantastic brand and a fantastic model, Peter. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's it's democratised satellite imagery for people, but it is historic, unfortunately, because it's a mashup of the satellite image, an image from an airplane very often and, and street view as well. They work with Planet just now. They're actually in partnership with Planet, who are building the, the satellite network as well. That could become the platform they use for the next iteration, potentially, of this as well. But I think that real-time opportunity creates a whole host of marketing opportunities and engagement opportunities and, and people just making better choices and having a, a smaller carbon footprint. So let's look at the future, Chris. COVID goes in a rear-view mirror and we learn how to manage it and travel all returns and... Where's Spelfy going to be in three years' time? What do you think? Well, it depends on a many other things, to be honest with you. We want to be 
working in partnership with and or with brands and or social platforms and uh, social marketing from an engagement perspective. We see ourselves as a, a marketing tool from a B2B perspective, or an engagement tool, a, a fan activation and event activation tool going forward. I think with more satellites, the price comes down. Yeah, the more often that you're, you're doing this on a regular basis, that becomes uh, obviously much more cost effective as well. And, and again, I think we'll probably find partnership relationships at that point too. Uh, we'll have an audience of people who want to collect experiences and can show that they've been to 10 different venues and uh, or they're, they're all the Formula One fanatics and they've been to every Formula One circuit. That, that's the kind of thing we, we see uh, collections uh, coming uh, through Spelfi as well. The license, the patenting aspect of this and the engagement between humans and space is a very interesting business model for us as well, because that will be the, the facilitator of business and a whole new generation of business models that have yet to be thought through. Yeah, I've, th I've thought of one just as we were speaking there. It's like occasionally when I meet up with Christian, we occasionally go for a beer. And I'm just thinking five years ahead, 10 years ahead. I'd love the satellite to be over us so we can catch him in real time so I can prove that he never buys around. <laughs> Beer's obviously central to your relationship, generally. Look, at the end of the day, it's going to still be fun. It's going to be useful. It's going to be, hopefully, a safer world, potentially, as well. And I think there's a myriad of things we haven't even thought about before. But, but space has always been about B2B. Very little. In fact, only 5% of space is used by consumers. Cool. That's been fascinating, Chris. Thanks very much for uh, giving up an hour of your time. And I'm sure our listeners, when they start thinking about this, can actually see so many different models how this technology can be linked with the travel industry and especially the in-destination travel industry, be that the marketing end from the DMOs or be it from operators actually on the ground. But I do think it's a partnership model. There's so many partners in this that need to come together to make it work and work well. Yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting. You don't always need a direct application when you when you talk about ideas like this. I think everyone looks for an immediate. Or how how can I apply this to my business tomorrow morning? But it's interesting that you don't always need a direct application. It gets your brain thinking about different angles and about different ways to look at things. And it, I think that really helps innovation. Helps people look at look at things that we we aren't thinking about yet, but could happen down the road. So I think it's it's made me think about direct applications i can't today but i think we can get there so it's been it's been really interesting to chat to you no great Chris. i appreciate it thanks peter one one last thing i'll think i'll get you to think about is this imagine bear in mind money is going to be uh, tight for the for the foreseeable future because the airline industry won't be able to spend the money it could because again it can't forecast the, the passenger numbers etc as well so let's imagine a country does something spectacular uh, I don't know, a, a Union Jack in, in the middle of a massive park. It's made out of people and they hold up a, a different coloured card and they've all got a pin above their head to show their support for the country or uh, visit Britain or visit USA or whatever the case may be, visit Canada, yeah? And you get the whole country to participate and take a selfie. Every member of the public then send that image onto social media. You create viral campaigns, yeah? You're looking at billions of eyes of people actually seeing your campaign. And that we're all limited by the creativity or, or people's imagination because we always just capture the image and we facilitate the sharing function through millions of people potentially. And that becomes really quite exciting and very, very cost-effective as well. Excellent. Thanks very much, Chris. It's been good speaking to you. You too. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, thanks, Chris. 
Thanks for listening to the Torpreneur podcast. Be sure to visit torpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Torpreneur.